Welcome to Hash It Out Podcast. I am Meetha, your host, back at it again. I'm not sure how many of you guys realized, but I wasn't your last episode on social media. So I hope you better have missed me or like commented that, hey, where's Meetha or something like that. Um, but how was your last episode without me, Bilin? Yeah, we did miss you. Um, I, couldn't, I can't really speak out for... Uh the listeners but me and Yoselin it was we it wasn't the same without you but luckily I was able to have a good conversation about social media and its influences with Yoselin and for today on the other hand as a health sciences major on the medical track I would like to discuss the racism that occurs in healthcare yes um so let's dive into the topic racial discrimination in healthcare system kind of evolves in a lot of countries, including United States. And this has negative consequences for both the patients and the healthcare workers, leading to higher risks of illness and in some cases, lower standards of care for people of color. In our episode, we will be discussing racism in healthcare, particularly how racism impacts health equity, racial underrepresentation, and not only in clinics or hospital, but also in an insurance marketplace factors and ways to tackle the issue. So the CDC identifies racism as a fundamental driver of racial and ethnic health disparities to advance health equity and build a healthier nation. That's very true, because when you think about it, if there is racism in the hospitals or health facilities that someone may visit, then that will determine who gets what care if they get any. This is truthfully one of the biggest barriers in healthcare, and if that issue was to ever get corrected, then it would 100% lead to an advancement in health and help the world have much healthier nations. Now, let's get into the main factors of health equity real quick before we get into the other points. Yes, so to understand the factors of health equity, we need to understand first the factors how health is influenced. So health is influenced by many factors, which may generally be organized into sort of five broad categories known as determinants of health. So the first one would be genetics, second behavior, third environmental and physical influences, fourth will be medical care and fifth will be social factors or social determinants. These five categories are very much interconnected and social determinants Dominance of health include factors like socioeconomic status, education, neighborhood, and physical environment. Whereas it also would involve like your em- employment and the social support system networks, as well as the access to the healthcare itself. You know, like the place where you're living, how far is like a clinic or a hospital from that neighborhood? These things matter a lot. And addressing social determinants of health is important for improving health and reducing those long-standing disparities in health as well as a played within uh, hospitals to lead to many of the problems that we see. Racial inequality can also come into play in regards to economic disparities. One racial group may have a harder time finding and obtaining care because of their finances and insurance issues. Now, with insurance, many people go through the marketplace to find affordable care, but many minorities are uncovered, which would make them pay out of pocket. Um, And this last resort would just force a lot of American citizens to opt out of getting the care that they need just because they can't afford it. And I can honestly speak for that because my family has had to go through the marketplace. And it's sometimes we in our past, we have had to make that decision whether to get the care and like to um, either 
if the the care that we're getting is worth the amount of money that we're paying. And I see that a lot with other people around me as well. And they have to make that decision whether they're going to pay to get that x-ray or if they're going to go get their next meal. You know what I mean? Um, but according to St. Catherine University, when unemployment rises, so does the racial disparity in medical insurance. In states that expanded eligibility for Medicaid, the ACA covers 36% of unemployed adults, whereas in states that did not, only 16% of unemployed adults are covered. Those are some interesting factors to look into. Something that the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services sort of came up in a report in about 2015, roughly. They found numerous examples of health equity for people of color in the United States. So including one of the first was lower life expectancy. So in 2014, black males and females had lower average life expectancies than white male and females. The second was higher blood pressure. So between 2013 and 2014, about 42.4% of black males had higher blood pressure compared to 30.2% in white males. During that same period, about 44% of black females had this condition compared to the 28 in white females. Then the strain on mental health. So a 2015 review sort of of the same Department of Health and Human Services found that racism was strongly associated with mental health difficulties, contributing to stress, anxiety and depression. And this was especially true for Asian American and Latinx groups. The last, I would say, one of the last examples found in that report was lower rates of influenza vaccinations. So flu vaccines can save lives. Um, we we know that vaccination is very critical, just looking at the pandemic that we had. Um, however, in 2014, only 60% of Black and Latinx people aged 65 or over got a vaccination compared to the 70% of White and Asian people of the same age. And something, another point or another factor or an area to look into is how people of color are treated in treatment, you know. So, for example, pain treatment. So, a 2016 study found that many white medical students wrongly believe that black people have higher pain tolerance than white people. And of all the participants in that study, about 73% held at least one false belief about the biological differences between the races. So, black children with appendices the same is true in research on people with recurring cancer. The another, I would say, area to look into it is emergency care. Like how are people of color treated in emergency care? So a 2020 study shows that between 2005 and 2016, medical professionals were 10% less likely to trust sources to admit that black patients to the hospital um, than white patients. So it also suggests that black people were about 1.26 times more likely to die in ED or hospital. I'd also like to like touch up on that real quick before I get to my point. Um, I know, okay, so even though the medical professionals are like less likely to admit black patients, I also know like the other way around where black patients are very, very terrified of... Well, they may not say they're terrified, but they're very scared of, you know, having a white doctor. They look forward, like they look for um, having a 
black doctor or someone of color to treat them because obviously a lot of people are very like they know about the issues that are occurring in healthcare and they know that the problems that could happen because of their skin color um and that's just honestly something even I'm not gonna lie I'm a little bit scared of sometimes and I get a little hesitant uh, with some of the doctors that I see and my mom has told me about this before and like even friends of mine they're just like um can I like have a different doctor you know what I mean and they're just so like scared that the issues might reoccur and they don't want the events to keep happening over and over again but in regards to racism within hospitals, like I said, this that is even scarier because it is so direct. According to studies done at St. Catherine's University, medical practitioners take an oath to do no harm, but evidence shows that doctors in the greater population exhibit the same levels of impl- implicit bias. And implicit bias would be to associate you know, certain groups of people with a negative judgment. Um, and a, in a seminal... In a seminal report by the Institute of Medicine in 2003, Unequal Treatment, a team of physicians, behavioral scientists, public health experts, and other health professionals concluded that even when access to care barriers, such as income and insurance, were controlled for, racial and ethnic minorities received forced, worse I mean, health care than white people received. Yeah, coming back to that unequal treatment, I remember reading like a social psychologist, um, I think it was Dr. Penner. I think she is a senior scientist at Wayne State University, uh, University's Cancer Institute, I believe. And I think they came up with um, like before patient, like he would ask the patients and the physicians before a medical treatment about their race related attitudes and like the measured physician's implicit bias on that issue. And uh, they sort of video recorded the patients and the physicians during the appointment and asked them to complete uh, sort of questionnaires afterwards. So they found the, the team that was doing this report found that the black patients felt most negatively towards physicians who were low in explicit bias but who were high in implicit bias. So demonstrating that validity of implicit bias in like real world medical interactions. So kind of like examining the providers who might demonstrate like sometimes we don't know ourselves like implicit bias is like something that we're not aware of mm-hmm. so like the physicians like then scored on the basis of like during those appointments they scored okay how is the physician's view on this and then how is the patient's view on this and it was sort of so interesting to see that physicians were ha- with high implicit bias were more likely to dominate the conversations with black uh, patients than th- sort of those with lower ones and the black patients trusted them less and had less confidence in them and their quality of care that they will provide to them so it was kind of like interesting to see because it wasn't just from like like you said it's not just from the physician and on the health professionals and it is also who is coming to seek the care so it was interesting to see how like it has to be improved not just on the health professional st- uh, like side, but also has to be improved on who comes to seek those like you know health services. So it's like a both like give and take sort of situation where the effort needs to be both way. It can't be just oh the healthcare system or there's an issue in the healthcare system and these people who make up these healthcare system have to improve this. No, it's also about 
people who are seeking services from it who need to improve so it, it's kind of like a balance of both that I interestingly found in that entire so, like and also the fact that like a social psychologist like look into all of this like how exactly people's mindset attitudes and you know their upbringings kind of play into the mm-hmm. way they're interacting with others which is very much a core of like just in general how life works yeah. but yeah that was pretty interesting to see yeah um i can understand that like having like ha- needing it to be on both sides and making it a, a mutual effort um but i feel like with like the reason that uh, a lot of black people or a lot of minorities in general are very hesitant is because it's like there's been so many issues in the past where like a lot of times it's been black people or um black citizens citizens that are used for uh, medical experiments, uh, looking back into like the earliest, early, earlier 20th century, there was many times, there's just too many to count. And they were always like picking certain people, certain build. Um, and a lot of times it would be black people because they have that build, they have that physique where it's like, oh, they're probably able to handle it a little bit better. They're probably stronger. They're probably um, able to do this more so they choose them specifically uh, like an example would be one of the worst ones would be like the Tuskegee study do you know about that yeah yeah that's real that's a horror that I've read yeah. Yeah, like that one was like a, it was a study in I think what 1932 where it it involved 600 black men 399 with syphilis and 200 me- 201 who did not have the disease and uh, participants were informed that consent was not collected like they didn't even ask if we were able to do this or if they were able to do these on the black men all they were told was oh we're just getting you're just getting treated for bad blood and a lot of times back then bad blood would just be like uh in order to see you know if you have something in like some type of ailment such as syphilis anemia fatigue and whatnot but in exchange they were offered free medical exams, free meals and burial insurance. And back then, it you know, a lot of those things such as especially like burial insurance, that's very expensive. It's expensive now. It's like over ten thousand like dollars to um, have someone buried. So like back then, imagine how much more money that was. And so like to be offered that in order just to get like a test done on you, it back it it just seemed like a good thing you know especially if i was a um a participant i'd have been like okay yeah take my blood you know if you're giving me meals and you're giving me an, a free medical exam and i'm getting insurance yeah take it you know what i mean yeah but like that's just so like like what would you say manipulative like to yep. make someone mm-hmm. you know get go through some type of process um and get a treatment even though it's not really seen as a treatment just a test um, in order to, like, just do something. I, like, I don't know. It just, it's it's yeah. just so wrong. I think it's exploitation of human rights because, like, I guess since it's that old of an age, like, all people... I'm pretty sure like majority of them like it was like World War One and World yeah. War Two, and everyone was trying to, trying to have like survive or die mentality. So it's like probably people did not have what kind of effects like did not know about or were not told about what kind of effects their body will have you know all they could see is that hey i'm in need of food i have a family that i have to feed or like i have to look after myself or like i have a survival option and i'm gonna take it like i probably nobody ever told them the consequences of it or how it's affecting like their genetics but yeah it's kind of a very 
a basic way of how human rights in general are exploited throughout. It's like you show them something as a monetary or like some kind of an expense that can attract them. Yeah. Like find what they need, show them that hey, I am providing you what you need. Like you need food and you need money. I'm going to give you that and just get them to do what you want. Like that's that's literally the basic basics of how, you know, exploitation of human rights go around. But thing that happened around the earliest uh, earlier 20th century. Well, it's not even early, it's mid. Um, in 1951, this is literally one of the biggest things. I like all my biology classes, they talk about it every single time um, I enter the course. And like, this is, it's ridiculous because 1951, 30 year old Henrietta Lacks, um, she had cervical cancer and uh, she's went to like many doctors and like many people, but they couldn't figure it out. And and like at some point she ended up passing away, but her cancer cells li- like lived on. And according to World Economic Forum, they were cultured on a mass scale, becoming known as the HeLa cell line. These immortal cells were critical to medical breakthroughs, including polio vaccine, cancer treatments, and IVF. They have even been sent into space, and you can still buy them today. Like that's ridiculous because on top of that, they were taken without her, even though she passed away. I mean, at least you could have asked her family, but they were taken without the family's acknowledgement or consent. And that's just ridiculous because how are you just going to take some like you couldn't cure her, but yet you're still going to take her cells to, you know, help others, I guess, would be like um, a refutable argument that you would say. But at the same time, it's just like. Doesn't matter if you're helping others. You could have still act like asked for acknowledge or asked for consent, and um, at least let the family know what you were doing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. That also brings into the issue of upholding bioethical standards. So it's kind of important to see how these standards were in 1950s, whereas how they have changed or if they have changed at all. So with informed consent, so in 1950, there was like no established practice for informing or obtaining consent from cell or tissue donors. However, today, need tissue and cellular materials for research. It was common back then in 1950s to collect tissue samples from cervical cancer patients regardless of their race or socio-economic status. However, today, any request for sample for like these research process uh, purposes would fall under legal standards or like the oversight of IRB, which is Institutional Review Board, if any of you guys are researchers. Therefore, any project that you do, like if it involves like humans, you have to go through like a training before you get into that. And you have to like provide certificates if you're part of a research program. And there's something called IRB protocol, which is a very like tedious and a lengthy thing. But you have to provide how you're, what's your subject, how you're using your subject and how you're making sure that the data is being like, if it's kept confidential, how is it? So it's kind of today like those practices are very toned down and your like IRB will get rejected or your research proposal will get rejected if you don't follow those legal standards back then there was no local or national regulations on the use of cell in research however now again you have to examine every research study involving human participant before it's approved same with the IRB board and with the medical records privacy which was kind of 
uh, one of the issues over here. Patients had no right to see or retain a copy of the medical records back then. Like there were no laws. However, today patients do have a right, and the federal as well as the state laws regulate that patient consent and the use and the sharing of the medical record information. Back then, there were very few leading uh, hospitals that were treating African American patients. Um, like providing the same quality of care to both black and white patients. However, black patients were treated in very um, segregated wards at the time when this whole case happened and for many years after that. However, today it's kind of um, disintegrating the whole 1950s with full integration of ward services in surgery. And by about 1973, all inpatient services were kind of disintegrated so these were kind of differences i think in today's world you can't you can't really get away with something called like what happened in the 1950s case so yeah i'm glad that these rules exist but um this was like probably the most common thing that should have happened long time ago but then again this is more on the human rights side of it where we are kind of making sure that everyone has um, an equal say in what belongs to them or what they have. And so some solutions that, you know, we could probably do, um, um, either being as a, uh, like me going into healthcare and like others being um, the patients and whatnot. So like we can like always call out, call it out, like the racial discrimination, like all the time, like, if we see it, call it out and make sure we are heard because there's absolutely no reason that people should have to face these issues when looking for care. Providers should be here to help and provide care. And it's, they're not here to choose and pick who they're providing it to based off their own beliefs and emotions. Yes, agreed completely. I think some of the adding on to the solutions that you said, like prioritizing the measurement of health disparities within the institutions as well as among the providers. Like Minnesota, which requires the healthcare providers to track the racial and ethnic disparities in the treatment for wide range of conditions, has encouraged this by like public reporting performance on on like these metrics. So uh, the, even the Boston Public Health Commission highlights like racial and ethnic disparities by neighborhood and an approach that offers like actionable insights to providers interested in provide, uh, responding to the local needs over there. But thus far as like local and state governments as well as the federal government is concerned, they have not like collected or published or leveraged data on racial health disparities in ways that could prompt action, you know. So we want to make sure that health systems can get a sense of disparities from these existing data and discover minorities which were unrepresented not only in like the clinical trials like a national phenomena but even as just like patients on a regular basis so we that's like one of the issues i would say kind of it also can be done with a lot of like community education the second one would be building partnerships to enable patients to play a meaningful role in developing solutions. So many healthcare organizations partner with like community advisory boards or collect patient reported experience and the outcome measures to identify potential problems. So the Southern Jamaican May Plain Health Center sort of gain 
they did like a teen workshops to gain insights about the struggles they face and tapped into like cancer survivors expertise to identify ways the health system didn't serve them you know like what is something that you wanted more like oh, oh, if you had this experience if you went through let's say breast cancer how it could have been better stuff like that so when you kind of see disparities around clinical performance we tend to think about amplifying the methodologies that are being used in healthcare for like mainstream population and then thinking that is going to produce better results but it's important to learn like take some kind of responsibility for understanding the differences among these various groups in terms of their attitude and their access to care and any relevant cultural issues and factors you know that kind of design these quality initiatives um and the last one that i had to add was making racial equity a strategic priority like it's kind of crucial we we want to make sure that this kind of education is emphasized on because the efforts to reduce racial disparities must go beyond of uh, the cultural competency or the workforce diversity initiatives like the key equity measures are built into it should be built into the system like the sponsor or like whoever you know the providers need to meet regularly and have to make equity as like a standing topic at every board of directors quality committee meetings and like so on like keep a track of it because it's in the end of the day like it's important to realize that while racism is like a large and it's a multifaceted problem there are concrete steps that healthcare providers can take and should take because we're talking about like a structural racism over here and something that is so, so broad and something that's so deeply rooted in our society that like it's tempting to say that like oh like oh healthcare is such like a small organization like what is you know like let's say one hospital or one clinic going to do about it like they have to like follow all these laws and like all of that stuff you know so like saying that oh this, this small portion doesn't have a control over the national policy or to address all these issues in that healthcare system but it's important to recognize that like even we as patients or even we as like outsiders can start small and be explicit about like what we're trying to address and what we're trying to solve you know so yeah i hope this episode is like helpful in terms of understanding racial inequity in healthcare and trying to see what are the issues and yeah very well put i have to say that was very well put Um well that's it for today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please please check out our other episodes. Thank you again. Have a good day.